The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode number 93 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm Sean Rapier. I'm the host of the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Before we get to this week's episode, we had a few new reviews that I always want to thank our reviewers. Uh, on iTunes, we had Connie Coaching, which we know is Connie Atkinson. If you have not heard my conversation with Connie a couple of weeks ago, go back, check it out. She's so inspiring, and she left a very nice review also, CLB Grandma, Lemon Swagger, and Done With This Podcast. These are such great usernames. I love it. They all left five-star reviews and some really nice messages. Thank you. We are uh, humbled and we really appreciate it. Again, it just really helps people to find our show. And this week on the show, my guests, it's a very different show from what we normally do. I have three guests this week. They are the team behind the new documentary, Stripling which is just fantastic. I got a chance to see it, and it's just great. Tom Laughlin is the director, and he's the one who reached out to me. Uh, Mike Simkoviak is a professional bodybuilder and one of the stars of the film, and Craig Anderson is the other star of the film as well as the producer, and he is just a spiritual giant, and we're going to talk about getting physically ripped, about getting spiritually ripped, and so much more. And this week in my Latter-day Life, I'll tell you why I got up extra early on a Saturday morning and why it meant so much to me. It's all coming up, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. This week here in the Latter-day Live studios, it is my privilege to welcome the director, as well as the two stars of the film, Stripling. It is an incredible documentary that goes over how to be spiritually ripped and why we need to be spiritually ripped, juxtaposing it with someone who is physically ripped and superimposing. And there's some great wisdom from an incredible speaker. We'll hear from both of these stars. Uh, but first of all, my understanding is that uh, this film was somewhat the brainchild of the director. Tom, uh, does that sound about right? Should we start with you? That's correct. Um, just in a nutshell, um, my son Connor uh, was on my mind a lot, um, and uh, he, you know, we we live in this era where uh, young men are kind of struggling, and, and and so my son, I wanted to make something for my son, you know, in that he likes sports sports figures, he likes action stars, and so I thought maybe I could kind of use that, you know, as a vehicle to to kind of give him some spiritual advice. Awesome. So, are you a filmmaker? By trade? Yes. So um, I work for the Davis School District, but I also am a full-time documentary filmmaker and do a lot of freelance. Awesome. That's great. Where are you from? I'm originally from Wichita, Kansas. Grew up in the Midwest. Ventured out here during the Napoleon Dynamite era and couldn't get into BYU, but I got into the greatest college in Utah, Utah Valley University, and that's where I finished my education. That's awesome. Fantastic. And then, so you decided you wanted to make this movie. Craig, how did you get involved with all this? Well, Tom approached me and he said, Craig, how would you like to, I'd like you to fund my documentary. Wow, was it, was it really that forward? It was, it was pretty straightforward, yeah. <laughs> and I said, uh, what do you want to do your documentary on? He said, well, bodybuilding. I said, you look at me. Do you really suppose bodybuilding is my thing? He said, no. He says, but you, I think you have a passion for what I want to do. And we talked a little bit. I'd had a kind of an epiphany about spiritual getting spiritually ripped yeah and you see those arnold freeberg pictures and those guys are also massive and i thought that's exactly how we should be spiritually so i told that to tom and we talked about it and decided to combine the two stories together his bodybuilding and my spiritual bodybuilding message and there you go and that's exactly what the film is and so um craig are you from the utah area oh uh, let's see i was raised in uh in northern utah in pleasant view Beautiful place. Uh, my dad was a, a judge, a juvenile court judge. 
It's also the bishop and lieutenant colonel and all those authority figures. So did he run your home like a courtroom? Like, did My you have to go to him? My mom used to and- say, Roland, quit interrogating me. I'm not on the witness stand. So yes, <laughs> to a degree, there's some truth to that. <laughs> That's awesome. But uh, I was raised with, with real, real good values. Um, I'll share a quick story with my dad. He was, uh, every day he gave us a job to do after school. We hated it. And I was about 14, my little brother's 13, and he said, boys, I've disc and harrowed around the peach trees. We had seven and a half acres, had about 30 peach trees. He said, I've disc and harrowed around the peach trees. And, You've done uh, what around the peach trees? Disc and harrowed. We take the tractor. We go around Disc them and, and harrowed. Those are, you use a disc and that chops the ground up and a harrow smooths it all out. Oh, I've never heard that phrase. So he's disced and harrowed disc around, and the around the trees. Disc and around the peach trees. Okay. He says, and I can't get the weeds right against the trees and I need you boys to get your shovels and go out and get those weeds out so I can irrigate. He says, oh, dad. He says, I need it done. So we come from school and we start eating everything we can find, cereal, ice cream, whatever, quart <laughs> of fruit. And dad comes home, we're watching cartoons. Oh, no. He says, Boys, I drove by that orchard and I noticed those weeds are still there. I said, yes. He says, are you planning on getting to those today? I says, I don't know, Dad. We're pretty busy. He goes, oh, I see. Oh. So he walks in the other room, changes his clothes, rudely walks in front of the TV with his Levi's on. We know where he's going. <laughs> He'd been gone a few minutes. Mom says, boys, where's your dad? He says, well, he's out in the orchard getting those weeds out. She says, wasn't that your job? We said, yes. And she says, don't you think you should go help him? We said, no, he's got it. She says, boys, turn off the TV and go help your dad. So oh, my. We turned off the TV and went out there, and dad was working away. And he looks up. He says, what are you boys doing? I said, we're going to come help you get those weeds out. He says, I was doing this long before you were ever born. You go back in the house and watch your cartoons. That's obviously more important than doing what I asked. We says, no, dad, we want to help you. He says, you don't understand. I don't want you here. You go back in the house with your mother where you belong. And we says, dad, we want to help. He said, I said, get we started to cry. He says, I thought I had men for sons, but I can see they're just little boys. Men do what they say they're going to do, and little boys, they just talk about it. Now, do you want to be men or do you want to be boys? He says, Dad, we want to be men. He says, then let this never happen again. But those kinds of experiences shaped my life. Yeah. They made me want to be a man. And I've told my young men that story and said, do you want to be men or do you want to be boys? Mm. And we all want to be men. We just sometimes don't know how to do it. Yeah. But anyway, that's kind of a, a little bit about lesson. where I come from. Yeah. So you grew up uh, up in that area. Where did that take you from there? I went to the University of Utah. Mm-hmm. Started school at the University of Utah. Then went on my mission to France. Where Where did you serve in France? I was served in Paris. Awesome. So I was Paris and Bordeaux, and so you served. So you served a mission there, and then came home. What uh, What came next? Came home. Um, got married, and. Uh, a challenging life experience. Yeah. Um, I'd been, uh, I prayed about whether I should marry her and the Lord told me no. Hmm. And I married her anyway. And it was not one of those positive experiences that you like to think about. She, uh, after we'd been married two weeks, she told me she didn't think the church was true and I thought it was a bunch of baloney. Hmm. And it shocked me. And we ultimately went through some real difficult times. And after two years, I asked her if she wanted to inherit the celestial kingdom, and she says, no. She says, I want to be a terrestrial person. That's who I am. I'm comfortable with that. I don't even like those kind of people. Mm. So we parted our ways, and uh, it's pretty devastating. Yeah. And that would have been in September, and the end of October, I went to a special interest dance, and I... What, what's a special interest dance? In those days, you had to be 25 and older. Okay. And so I went to this dance, and... And what we'd call mid-singles. Mid-singles now, yeah. yes. And I saw all these old gray-haired people there. I thought, holy moly, this isn't for me. <laughs> so I left. And then I thought, wait a second, I'm going to go back and watch someone have a heart attack. I'm sure it's going to happen tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so I go back and I look for three women in the order within 10 years of my age. And the third one that walked through the door, I asked her to dance with me. And the 11th of January, we were married. Mm, awesome. And we've been married for 41 years now. Oh, phenomenal. Tell us about your kids. I've got five children. Uh, two of my my oldest two daughters I inherited when I married my wife, and they're wonderful people. Awesome. I got to be their dad, and it was a great experience, a char- hard experience, but a good one. Yeah. And then we had uh, another little girl. Then we had our son, Tyler, that has Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And that was an interesting life experience. Yeah. 
And uh, and Tyler's featured in the film. He is featured in the film. And yeah. He's Beautiful. actually been on KSL News. Oh, they yeah. Did, they did a special on Down Syndrome a couple of years ago. And awesome. he was, they did, came to our house and did a special with him. But anyway, um, we had Tyler, and then we had our, our last son, Trevor. When did you kind of get this gift to be able to tell stories and to speak? Because you clearly have a gift. You know, I, when I married my wife and she had those two little girls, I wanted them to become part of my life. Mm. So every night I would tell them stories about me growing up mm. and about my brothers and sisters and about my grandparents and stories through our genealogy. We've had some amazing ancestors. And I would tell them stories every night. And eventually I started making up stories and they were superheroes and, <laughs> and we took all sorts of roles. But I think I learned the art of storytelling by talking to them and sharing them with them, those stories. And it's just kind of how it is. And you've served in a stake presidency. What other callings have you held? Uh, I've been elder scorn president like three different times. I've been in the high council a couple of times, been a bishop. Well, I've been a, in the bishopric as a second counselor three different times, then a bishop, and then in the stake presidency for 10 years. You're the dream high counselor because you're the storyteller. Everybody loves the storyteller high counselor. Well, it was interesting in the stake when we had each of the members of the stake presidency had different gifts. Our stake mm. president was very spiritual and very intuitive and the other was very analytical, and I, of course, was the storyteller and kind of the loose cannon. <laughs> Fun. In fact, we so, had, I just, just got to hear this yeah, one. Please. We had Elder Ballard came to our stake, and we had a chance to stake presidency to visit with him for, oh, about four hours. And uh, we'd been going for a couple hours. He says, well, let's take a break. Do you brethren have any questions? The stake president opens up his scriptures looking for something, and the first counselor opens up his notes and thinking, these guys are wasting good time. I says, I got a question. Stick Preston goes, oh. <laughs> he knows who I am. And I says, Elder Ballard, do you ever question if the church is true? Awesome. Stick Preston goes, oh. No, that is a beautiful question. And he says, of course I question. We all question. The only difference is that I know that I know. When I question, it lasts but a flicker of a thought because I know that I know. It's okay to question. Just know that you know. Mm. What a profound thought that was. And that's kind of stuck with me all my years as I've had moments of questioning, but I know that I know. Incredible. Did you come up with the idea for being spiritually ripped before this whole film thing came together? It did. I did. Well, we're going to get to Mike's story here in a second, but it's got to feel good to be referred to as the spiritually ripped guy. You got to like that, right? Well, I don't see myself that way particularly, but I try. So, Tom, did you set out knowing uh, Mike and you wanted to make a film about Mike? Or did you say, I want to make a film about heroes, and you went out and found Mike? It was interesting. Uh, when I was freelancing um, as a producer-editor, um, I was hired to help uh, produce a commercial, and it was in the fitness industry. And I ran into Mike on this project, and situationally, we were not able to film at a certain gym. So I jumped in his car and we rode and ended up producing this project at his own personal gym at the time. And during this, I don't know, 20-minute car ride, uh, we both kind of discovered we were both LDS. We both shared a passion for uh, missionaries and just certain common common things. And uh, I thought, oh my goodness, um, I popped the question, would you be interested in possibly being one of, if not the subject of my documentary. And things just, one thing led to another, and the rest is history. So Sounds like it was meant to be. That's awesome. <laughs> so, Mike, this brings us to you. Mike, we want to hear all about you and your background. Where are you from, Mike? I'm from uh, Sandy, Utah. Yeah, yeah, you're a Utah guy, Utah yep. native. Mm -hmm. So, growing up, uh, tell us a little bit about your life growing up, your family. You know, my family was really involved in the church. I mean, it was the staple of our lives. You know, my parents were really devoted. They went to church every week, you know, scripture study, prayer every day. So, you know, we were taught correct principles and, you know, we lived by them all our lives. Yeah. And it's important as we talk about you growing up, a couple of spoiler alerts. I've seen the film and absolutely loved it. And if you were sitting across from Mike like I am now... You would instantly know that Mike is a bodybuilder. <laughs> There's no question Thanks. about that. You couldn't hide that. Um, we'll talk about more about that again. But you weren't a bodybuilder early on. Your early life. 
was not necessarily you weren't uh, the Hulk of a kid. Tell us about uh, tell us about you growing up physically. I was always really competitive, you know, and I think yeah. that's kind of where an has, athlete for sure. Yeah, you know, I, I liked being competitive in sports and and things like that. But yeah, I was really small. You know, I was six foot, one hundred and forty five pounds when I graduated. Not a bodybuilder. 145 pounds. Yes. You're a skinny kid. Yeah. When I went on my mission at age 19, I was still about 145 pounds, six foot. Yeah. I was uh, about 145 pounds when I was about four. I think was the <laughs> last time. That was probably about the last time I was down uh, in that range. So that's impressive. But you were always really into athletics. Mm -hmm. Did you get into weightlifting or strength training or bodybuilding at all in, in high school or before your mission? Not really. I mean, I had, you know, taken gym class at school, but you know, that's just an excuse to get out of English class or math, you know? So <laughs> really I didn't train hard. I didn't like it. I didn't love it. You know, it was, it was a class at school and that was about it. Nothing more. Yeah. So you go on your mission. Where'd you serve your mission? Uh, Sydney, Australia. Oh, I love Sydney. I've yeah. been there many times. I love that place. Yeah, I couldn't complain one bit, so... It's funny because I've I've done a good amount of world travel. Sydney is the one place I forget I'm not in the U.S. Yeah. It's it's California with a, an accent and better food. <laughs> <laughs> How was your mission? It was awesome. It was a really good experience. You know, I mean, that changed my life. That's actually how I got into fitness is my mission. So tell us you about know. that. You know, the, the church had just came out with this hour workout program because they wanted the missionaries to be more active, healthier. Yeah. Um, so they came out with this hour workout program where you could work out for an hour a day. And I had a friend back at home, you know, before my mission, we were so competitive. And he was like, I'm going to work out when you come home. You know, it was like, I'm going to be this <laughs> ripped guy. And I was like, whatever. So having that in the back of my mind in the church introducing this program, I thought, hey, I'm going to start working out. And so we were actually fed really well. I served mostly in the Polynesian areas. Oh, and, nice. You know, food is part of their culture and they, they're so giving. And so we were being fed enough, more yeah. than enough. <laughs> and so I thought, hey, now I'm eating. Let me start working out. And I was really consistent. And I did it pretty much every day for about a year and a half. And my longest companion lasted, I think, three days before he gave up. So Were you guys going early morning? Uh, morning, most of the time. Yeah. You know, we'd try and get up and... You were know. going to an actual gym. You were uh, no, we weren't no, allowed to do that. So the to. members would let us borrow weights. Ah. And so, I, you know, I had some dumbbells over on an ironing board most of the time. <laughs> an ironing board. You know, I did get a bench set, you know, for a couple areas. But that was always a challenge, figuring out how to yeah. take this with me or we'd have to find some new members that were willing to give us something. That's awesome. Yeah. So as you're doing all this, did you start to notice the difference in size? Not really. You know, it was a lot of faith. I, I, I think it's so funny because I compare this a lot to faith because I had wrote down in my journal these unrealistic goals. You know, I had measured my arms when I had started working out and they're about 10 inches, 10 and three fourths inches mm. at my biceps. I mean, the same size of most, most people's wrist, <laughs> you know, and I had wrote these goals of 15 inch arms and I was like, this is an unbelievable goal, but it's funny because now I look back and, you know, my arms at a point where I'm 20. So I, you know, surpassed wow. that by far. So that is awesome. Yeah. So it works, but it's yeah. taken time. So you learned, did you just love it when you, I mean, did you find a love for, for uh, weightlifting and strength training? Um, <laughs> I don't, you know, and that's the thing. I think it was just the consistency first, you know, the, and I yeah. did it. And just kept doing it so that when I got home, you know, I'd hang out with friends till late at night and it'd be midnight and I'd say, oh, I've got to go to the gym still. Because on a mission, you know, you're working 12 hour days. Sure. You're tired. But because I did it consistently when I got home, I just continued with it. So, so Mike, you come <clears throat> home from your mission and uh, what's next? Were you going back to school? Or yeah. So I had gone step? to college before I went on my mission. Yeah. So I picked that back up. Um you know, you're still kind of unsure what you want to do. I, right. I think I wanted to be an oral surgeon. My dad's a cardiologist. Mm. Um, and so I sat down with him and I was like, look, dad, if you could do it all over again, would you be a doctor? And he was like, no, really? <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> you know, he said, don't be a doctor. He said, every pilot that comes in my office seems to love their job. He's like, and my dad had actually picked up flying 
a little bit before my mission, mostly while I was on my mission, you know, just flying for fun and got his pilot's license. And so he's like, maybe you should look at being a pilot. And so I actually went to college and got an aviation degree and got a commercial airline license and got hired with an airline called Mesa Airlines. No kidding. That's what I originally started. At the same time, I was still training because I had been consistent with that. And so I had started personal training. I had hired coaches when I got back to teach me their ways and I got certified. I kept training all through college. You know, it's kind of funny because my first trainer, he was actually Mr. Utah at the time. And so he was kind of like, Hey, you know, he's like, you have a good physique. Cause I was still, you know, I was about 175 pounds. I had put on about 30, but it was pretty much all solid muscle. So I was really shredded. Um, and he was like, maybe you should go to California and do these competitions, you know? And so I thought, okay, you know, let's, let's do it. So I went there. I had no knowledge at that time about nutrition or anything. You know, he helped me a bit, but I still, you know, it was a new experience for me and, you know, it was a new experience for my parents too, going to California because this was, uh, it was actually called muscle mania modeling. And so, you know, you're seeing guys model different things and women, which is not quite probably your LDS standard, so to say, you know. Did, so, so when you went out there, did you do your first competition in California then? Yes. Yeah. So how, what was that experience like? I mean, I know nothing about this world other than the documentary, right? Yeah. So, so talk to us a little bit about what goes into a bodybuilding, bodybuilding competition. And then, uh, and then also, what was that like for your first time? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, a lot of it's just that mental dedication. You know, you kind of set a goal for a certain show or a date, and then you do, you know, you follow a regimen. Hopefully you have a coach and you you see the people that have done shows before you. So you kind of can compare, Hey, how am I looking to where I need to be to actually, you know, not look out of place, you know? And so it's just that discipline, you know, from there it's doing everything you can to get from point A to point B where you're on stage. You know, a lot of, you know, your diet is huge, which takes, you know, self mastery, a lot of discipline. That's why I enjoy doing it. You know, it's kind of that mind over matter and, you know, see what you can do. We had Weston Wilson on the show, who is a professional MMA fighter. And what was interesting to me with Weston is not only the training, what they would call a camp, which leads up to a fight, but especially that 72 hours before weigh-in. I mean, every minute is calculated to be exactly that. Is it kind of the same right before you, like, is there a regimen that's different the couple days before you actually show? Yeah. So especially like the last two weeks, I mean, there's you know, there's water manipulation, salt manipulation, there's things to, Mm. you know, that you're really trying to deplete your body in certain areas. You know, if you're retaining water, you could look soft and that gives you the appearance of, you know, body fat. Yeah. I retain a lot of water. I I am solid and then stupid water retention just kills me. But so I, I, I'm with you on that. But, um, so you went out your first competition. How'd it go? Yeah, it, actually I did really well, you know, because I had no knowledge of like, I had no, no like expectation, yeah. you know? And so I had pushed myself. I remember I would run about 12 to 16 miles a day. I would up hills and I would eat grape nut cereal, chicken and lettuce pretty much and tuna. That's it for, you know, a few months. Wow. So when I got there, I was really shredded. And so a lot of people were like, are you professional? And I was like, are you kidding me? You're twice my size, you know, but you know, because it was a modeling show, you know, I was, I wasn't quite into the California what's up to date with modeling. So, you know, they judged you on like your attire and things that you would, you know, present with your wardrobe, but I still did really well. I made it into a couple magazines from that competition and I, and I felt good. You know, I, I mean, like I said, I would, I got my body to a point where I was, I looked really awesome. And a lot of people would say, Hey, coach me, you know, so it was very beneficial for me. At what point did you leave piloting? So 2008, right after I got hired with Mesa airlines is when the economy hit, you know, all the pilots were getting furloughed. It's interesting because I can see the Lord guiding your steps. You know, I mean, there happens to be this program while you're on your mission And then you come back and you happen to start picking up training and you happen to meet Mr. Utah, who 
tells you, you know, I mean, I think that most of our audience were not big on coincidences. Yeah. You know, can you look back and kind of see the Lord putting you in these places? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, where would my life be even if I never had gone on a mission? Yeah, you know, right? I mean, I, you know, I'm grateful. 145 pounds. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. where it would be, right? You know, because I really enjoy like people, you know, I might not make a million dollars, but I tell people I've never worked a day in my life because I've always been doing things like I love this, you That's know, so awesome. and what you know, training people. Thing. It's, I've always been my own boss. I pick my own hours. If I say, Hey, I don't want to train today. I don't have to train, you know? So yeah. it's been real flexible and, you know, I've really enjoyed choosing this path. So uh, how in the, in the bodybuilder community, is there a subset Latter-day Saint bodybuilder community? Or are you the subset Latter-day Saint community by yourself? It's hard to know, really. Mm. You know, I mean, because the community is more bodybuilders. Like, in, it's kind of on the back end. It's not something that's up front all the time. Like, oh, you're LDS. Yeah. You know, here and there you do find out, oh, they're LDS too. But it's not something that, like, there's a group of LDS bodybuilders or anything. So, so all this led to training and competition. How much competition do you do now? So I've done quite a few competitions. Usually in the past, I've done about two to three shows a year. You know, in the last two years, um, it's been a little bit less uh, yeah. just because some other things. But, you know, I've really enjoyed the competitive side where it's kind of like, you know, you get to a point, I think everybody in life with all aspects, you get comfortable. And so having a show is okay, I better get my button gear again and get there and, you know, challenge myself once again to be better and yeah. push myself. Can I ask how old you are? Yeah, I'm 35. It's important for our audience to know that. <laughs> I'm 35 years old. Yeah, I mean, you, you're still, uh, uh, from my point of view, at least from my vantage point, a younger guy. Okay. So now you're doing shows, you're training. You still, do you have a lot of clients that you train right now? Yeah, I actually work for a supplement company now. I yeah. do actually a lot of their videos and content like that. Yeah. Um, a lot of their podcast live cast for sure. them. So it's really fun just because it's, you know, the same thing I'm doing here. I just share about, you know, what, what supplements to take. You know, a lot of people just don't really know, you yeah. know, when it comes to sure. fitness things, like some of the questions you asked me, you know, but people want to get in better shape. And so, yeah. So what was it like, you know, here you are an intimidating figure to a certain extent, physically imposing, uh, maybe not intimidating is the right word, but imposing for sure. What's that like dating then? What was that like? You know, <laughs> It's really hard just because of what you attract. Yeah. Because people have this perception of what bodybuilders are. I mean, if you did a poll, you'd probably get the same couple answers, how yeah. they, you know, they, they're conceited, they're rude you know they think they're all that which is i i don't know where that comes from because it's funny when a lot of people are like oh you're a really approachable person it's like just because they kind of have that same perception in their head so dating's been you know it's it's interesting because especially being an lds where you know we do look a little extreme. Sometimes my hair, as Craig's seen, <laughs> you know, I have braids or I have like a faux yeah, I was going to say, so right now you've got kind of a, a faux hawk <laughs> spike. Yeah. But I saw photos. Yeah. You've got the long braids. Yeah. Tell us about the yeah. braids because it looked cool. Yeah. So I just do different things. You know, it's entertainment. You know, when I do expos and stuff, it, yeah. it's just part of it. You know, it's, you know, I did actually get recruited by the WWE in 2015. Oh, um, so, you know, I like the entertainment part of the fitness world yeah. too. And, you know, there's a lot of opportunities. And so when we go to expos and there's hundreds of thousands of people, it's fun to, and you're going for the things. supplement company. Yeah. Yeah. Craig, do you ever put braids in and it's part of your business life? <laughs> no, I've kind of passed on that in my yeah. life. It just wouldn't really fit my motif. I don't Never think. in a state conference. You thought I'm going to get attention by putting in some, <laughs> well, I would braids. get attention. There's no question about that. <laughs> you would get attention. You put in the long braids and, and get out there and flex. Maybe that's a, maybe that's the next thing for a, uh, for a conference. So that's just awesome. So Tom comes and approaches you about doing this film. What was your first, what was your first take on it? Sure. I mean, that's the fun part about this whole, you know, being LDS and being a bodybuilder, you know, people don't expect it, you know, like I said, dating somebody, they're not going to be like, Oh, he looks like a nice, strong priesthood holder. It's just not. <laughs> so the same thing when he's like, Hey, would you like to do this spiritual documentary about bodybuilding? And for the youth, it was like, of course, you know, I'd love to, 
you know, share my testimony yeah. and share who I am beyond what people see. I know. love that. And that's what I loved about getting to know you. It's kind of fun because I feel like I know you even though I, I don't. First of all, I got to tell you, one of the one of the scenes in the film, you're wearing a white shirt that I am so sure you are going to go Incredible Hulk on. <laughs> like your, your muscles are just pushing through that shirt. I sat there going, he is testing the tensile strength of that <laughs> shirt right there. And so I can see where people at church might be intimidated. One of the things I've loved about this show is we've had on, like I said, an MMA fighter, and we've had on people who maybe don't look or do or whatever what, what you may think, and it, it tears it down. You're doing firesides now. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we've done a couple. You know, we're just trying to get this message of, you know, the spiritual, you know, be spiritually ripped. You yeah. Know, it's either, you know, it's not catered to one side or the other, but it's just as the youth want to, hey, I want to be like this famous guy or this this superhero, you know, yeah. you can be like that spiritually still in this day. You know, you don't have to be, maybe because it's not the end thing or, you know, because a lot of youth, you know, Tom started this because he's like, you know, they go and they listen to their bishop say, hey, you know, and they're like, I don't want to listen to my bishop. You know, they just kind of have that perception of what's cool, I right. guess, you know. And so, you know, on social media, you know, people that are fit, muscular. I mean, who doesn't love Arnold or the Hulk, you know? You and look so, like a superhero, oh, Mike. I, I mean, you just, you, you look like when you said WWE. I mean, I've never seen you wrestle, but you look like a WWE superstar. Oh, I mean, that's the look mm -hmm. that you have. So I got to think that the kids, it, it's fun. And we'll try to share maybe some of these photos on our social media. But uh, there you were at a fireside flexing with all the kids. Mm -hmm. What's some, what are some of the questions you get from, from some of the youth? Or what, what's the response you get from them? Well, let's see. It's always how much can you bench? Yeah, you, know? <laughs> you get asked that question a lot. How oh, much yeah. can you bench? Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. Do we do we get to ask? I was actually talking because I'm actually going to go for the state raw record in Utah right now. So what is the state raw record? So for mean? my weight class up to 240, it's actually 420 raw. But wow. I threw up 455 the uh, last week, but I needed a little help, so I'm I'm pretty sure I can beat it. And raw just means you without a spot. No straps, no. Bent shirt. Nothing. Yeah. Just, yeah, just straight. 455 pounds. Yeah, so. Or 420 is the... The record. So I'm sure, you know, in a few months of training, we'll get that easy. So. I love that you say you'll get that easy. Oh, my gosh. Man. Well, if only, you know, I'm not a power lifter, and my body's really not... You know, it took me forever to get to 225, yeah. you know, and so a lot of power lifter builds are just a little bit different, but... You know, it's funny because we worked out with a power lifter for some of the videos that I shot for work. And I was like, wait, I was looking at some of the records and I'm like, because I've been doing this for 15 years. And I'm like, I actually could beat some of those records, you know, just because I've been doing it so long. You know, I haven't trained to be a power lifter and my That's technique awesome. for that is probably awful. But <laughs> that is so know. great. So, so start doing this documentary. Suddenly you got Tom following you around tom did you have a crew with you or was it you running it all well um we shot the interviews and then over a period of a year and a half i followed mike kind of around here and there uh, to get bits of his life and i also filmed craig it was basically me doing the uh you know directing writing sound um, and editing and all that so yeah i mean i consider them the crew i mean it was us three but as far yep. as uh the filmmaking crew, it was a crew of one and, and there, Craig at, at any given moment. Craig there's a cool was there. juxtaposition with Craig oh, yes. and with Mike and this physical to spiritual, spiritual to physical. Craig, do you feel like that came through in the film, what you wanted out of it? Oh, I did. Yes. I think it really came through. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Well, and I think part of the, my message with to was based around my deacon's quorum. I was a deacon's quorum advisor during this time. And the film opens with that. The film opens with you with some pretty special young men. I mean, this Amazing. is how it all starts. And so you get that taste from you and you talking about what these kids mean to you. Well, and I considered them men. I told them, I says, you know, on the Savior's Day, a 12-year-old was considered an adult. You started a, a apprenticeship and you became an adult. I says, if they could do that in those days, you could be that now. I says, and from now on, I'll never call you boys. I'll call you men. 
And one of my boys raised his hand. He says, can we be men scouts too? <laughs> says, you certainly can. I think that it's important that our young men have these types of role models. Like both of you. I mean, obviously very differently, you know, spiritually and physically and, and spiritually and physically. I mean, we all, you know, have different gifts. But I think that there, if we do not have the Latter-day Saint role models, someone will fill that role. We might as well own that space, right? I mean, we, we, we might as well control it. Did it ever get tiresome having Tom following you around? Was it ever kind of, <laughs> hey, enough, all right? <laughs> no, it's always fun, you know? Yeah. I, you know, it was a good time. And he yeah. came to the competitions and, you know, it was backstage. and I got to think if you, if you didn't already feel like a star enough walking around, now you got a camera crew following you. Yeah, yeah. Did that draw a lot of attention? You know, I think people just, uh, well, with Mike, people are drawn to Mike and people are drawn to Craig spiritually. I mean, so, so I don't think the camera was really a, a problem. It was more, uh, anytime one of these men walked through the door, or whatever, um, you know, the attention went to them. And if the camera was there, it was there. If it wasn't, but it was just trying to be a fly on the wall. It was just trying to be a fly on the wall and just capture yeah. them both in their natural, uh, you know, world. One of the interesting things about the film is that Craig and Mike, at the beginning, like I said, it kind of opens with Craig and these young men, and then we go into Mike and Mike's life a little bit. At first, I was like, these could not be two more different men. Like, I mean, and sitting here, I would say that too. You guys are not similar in in, in stature or age or, or anything. Like, you're just very different guys. It's amazing how toward the end, Tom, the way you were able to weave it together where I feel like you guys are a team. Like, I feel like you are, you know, together. So I think it's just, it's masterful. Yeah, well, I mean, we can all know just from different, you know, kids we've had, personalities, that some kids just learn differently. You know, some kids are going to just naturally be attracted more towards some of the things that Craig's saying, connect with those things. And I think there's things that other kids are going to, or or youth are going to listen to Mike, and there's something Mike's going to say it's going to hit them. So I think there's that great balance with yeah. the physical and spiritual. And you've had, go ahead, Craig. Well, it's like when we do a doc, when we do a fireside. At the end of the fireside, no one asks to have my, their picture taken with me. <laughs> they, they all want to have their picture taken with Mike. And it, I'm not the least bit offended. I am yeah. thrilled that they got the message, that they see him as the superhero that he is, and the spiritual giant as well as the physical giant, and they can see this is how I want to become. And I think that's exactly what we try to do. Your messaging, though, comes through, Craig, so strongly. And it's just beautiful the way it all ties together. And you've had this at some film festivals. How's that experience been, Tom? So um, we had a, a premiere at the LDS Film Festival. And it was a little challenging just because it was scheduled at a very um, interesting time with all the other filmmakers trying to get their leg up. Yeah. Um, we did. We had a, a fairly okay turnout. Yeah. Uh, we did get into the Utah Film Festival. And out of like 250 documentaries or so, uh, we were one of five that got into that. Wow. And we were a niche religious kind of documentary. Uh, so that was a huge uh, accomplishment just to be, you know, selected in the Utah Film Festival. And so, um, but yeah, that's where we're at so far. That's awesome. Mike, what's next for you? You're going to continue to uh, do all the shows and everything, continue bodybuilding. Yeah. You know, I have a couple of goals this year. I'm actually getting ready. I just started prepping for a competition, which will be in Pittsburgh. It's called the North American Championships. So it's a national competition to go pro. Um, so that will be in August. So yeah. I'm probably going to compete in that federation. Then I'm actually going to probably compete in another federation and try to get to Mr. Universe, which will be in Mexico. So No kidding. Yeah. Wow, that is just incredible. Yeah, so those are kind of my three goals this year. Oh, that's awesome. Craig, what's next for you? Well, I'm not going to do any more documentaries. This is, this is my is one. Is this a one and done? I'm, I'm going to retire. That's it. From the film industry. My bucket yeah. list. <laughs> Your one credit. <clears throat> but uh, for me, I, I, I would like to continue to try to inspire young men, you know, mm. and share my stories. And my wife says, oh, do we have to hear that again? <laughs> But, you know, I, there are people who need to hear some of those stories that are that are spiritually lifting. I, I told a story to this one gal that she had a mohawk and piercings all over and, and tattoos everywhere. And I told her a story about a miracle that took place in my life. My son had a kidney transplant mm. and had an absolute perfect match from a non-relative. 
And they said the chances were two, one, were two out of eight billion or two on the planet would be a perfect match. And she was one. And I told this gal the story, and she says, that gives me goosebumps. <laughs> I said, you know what that is, don't you? And she says, no, what? I said, that's God whispering to you. She said, really? I said, that's exactly what that is. Answer back. But those wow. stories, I think, are important that people hear. I believe that we're all like... I tell the story of, of a piece of driftwood out in the middle of the ocean. It just floats. It goes wherever, so wherever the waves push it. But, you know, a battleship without the engines running is just a piece of driftwood. Mm. You have to determine whether you're going to turn on your engines and move in a direction or whether you're just going to float. And it's time that we do that in our society. We have to decide that we are in or we're out. And if we're going to be in, we're going to be moving in the direction the Lord wants us to go in, or we're not going to ever arrive at the at our goal. It's awesome, Craig. We've had a lot of great authors on this show, and right now, this is me challenging you to write this all into a book. That's what's next. Put it together in a book. Leave the legacy of your stories behind. Come back on the show and promote the book. And then, Tom, what's next for you? Um, I've got a couple of ideas, a couple of projects, kind of brewing, but uh, I don't know. We'll see how things go. Yeah, and we're still promoting the film. And Tom, the million-dollar question that everybody wants to know, now the audience is excited to hear Craig's stories and to see Mike's journey and to learn about how they mm-hmm. can become striplings themselves. So, Tom, mm-hmm. if people want to see the film, how do they see it? So what you're going to do is you're going to uh, shoot Craig an email and say you want to book a fireside or you want to get it on DVD, and the uh, email is striplingfilm at gmail.com. Striplingfilm at gmail.com. Yep. And you guys are still open to doing Fireside. So if our listeners mm-hmm. want to have you come out, yeah. speak, you can uh, hear Craig's stories and take pictures with Mike. <laughs> Which again, Craig, I get it. I totally it's, it's understand. It's perfectly cool. I'm fine with it. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the way it goes for me too. But and to get to meet Tom and to hear the story behind the film. And if people are, we've got listeners kind of all over, if they can't do the fireside, Tom, if they email Craig, can they get a copy of the yeah. DVD? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can get it yeah. on DVD. Yep. Okay. Fantastic. And again, that's striplingfilm. Striplingfilm at, gmail. at gmail.com. Dot com. We're also on Facebook, striplingfilmdocumentary. Stripling Film Documentary on Facebook. Sorry and we'll share that. these links on our Facebook page exactly. and, and our Instagram and everything else. Mm-hmm. Really appreciate having you guys on. We're about at time. I'm going to ask you each the question that I ask all of our guests. Maybe we'll start with you, Mike. Okay. Which is, what does being a member of the church mean to you? What it means to me, it's basically my direction for life. You know, it's my reflection of who I am and who I want to be. You know, and it's given me that direction just to guide me. So it's always been a, a anchor, I guess, in my life. And I know that's where I'll find happiness is by doing and living those mm. principles. That's awesome. Craig? I've had a lot of challenges in my life. A lot of challenges. Yeah. And the church has made, given me purpose to all of those. In fact, there was a time I thought, why does God hate me? Why does he treat me so mean? Why is, why is he giving me so many hard things to endure? And I now understand why. And mm. I'm a better person for it. And I can relate to others and help them along life's course because of those great experiences that I never want to repeat or never would beg for or never want ever, but have strengthened me and helped me have a vision that I really want to return to my Father in Heaven. Wow. And I can believe it can be done. Mm. Just have to get spiritually ripped and hold on. We'll arrive. Mm. That is beautiful. Tom, was being a member of the church mean to you? Um. Being a member of church for me is uh, is just holding on and staying fastly, firmly connected to that iron rod, so that I know at the end of the day, you know, hopefully at the end of this life, I can you know just know that I've lived every day the, to the best of my ability to be able to end up with my family forever. And uh, you know, conversion is individual, um, but we're all in a sense responsible to get everybody back. And it takes friends and true friends, true friendships and fellowshipping to do that. And and in the last couple of weeks, that's just been on my mind as as I've continued to just work on my testimony and continue to be converted to the gospel. That that I'm looking for opportunities to to be friends, reach out to somebody you don't know, you know, somebody you know, at work that 
you know, that person needs a friend. That person needs a friend. And for me, to be a member of this church means being a true friend mm. to somebody else and lifting them up. Because at the end of the day, they may come back 10, 15 years and say, thank you for being my friend. Thank you for just being there. Awesome. I, I can see the Lord's hand in it. Craig, you've had this life of service. One, you know, one other comment I just want to make real briefly is with President Nelson and his South Pacific tour talked about how the persecutions are going to increase and how we need to be strong. Mm. Now is the time to start your spiritual conditioning because it's you're going to need it. The time will come when you will need to be spiritually ripped and a spiritual couch potato is not going to make it. We need to look like Mike spiritually and know with the confidence that we know who we are. And we know why we're here, and no one's going to dissuade us. I can assure you no one pushes Mike around. <laughs> and I can tell you, you become spiritually ripped like Mike, no one's going to spiritually push you around either. Mm. Craig, I love it. I can I can see where the Lord, I mean, your life of service, Craig, and this message that, that you've kind of created of being spiritually ripped and spiritually a stripling warrior, a true warrior, which that comes across well in the film, that these young men have to be warriors. They have to be ready because it is a war out there. And that you, getting to know Tom, who happens to be a filmmaker, and Tom being inspired by all your messages, and then Mike, you ending up in Tom's car, and then all this coming together, I think it's just phenomenal. I think it's something that every young man should see, young woman, everybody needs to see, because I agree we all have to be spiritually ripped. They are a great collection of men here. Three men I would never piece together out of uh, just out of the world and yet go together like a perfect recipe. So as a bodybuilder, a filmmaker, a spiritual giant, mm-hmm. it's great to have you guys on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day Lives with us. Thanks for having me. Thank it. you. Thank you. My special thanks to Mike, Craig, and Tom. Amazing men. Their spirits were just incredible, and really, if you get a chance to see Stripling, I highly recommend it. Uh, Email Craig, and I'm sure it's going to be coming out in more formats very soon. You definitely want to watch this. It's very inspiring. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life, I had a really fun weekend this past weekend. Uh, I got to take one of my daughters to Disney World. I do these, they're called daddy trips. It's just me and one of the kids, one-on-one We'll usually go to Disneyland, but we've done San Diego and some other places. And this weekend, I had the opportunity to take my 23-year-old daughter to Disney World out in Florida. And the only way to make it work, we really only had a weekend. And I got to tell you, Utah to Orlando is crazy to do in one weekend. Um, But I do recommend it because it's a lot of fun. We caught a five o'clock flight out to Orlando. We didn't land until uh, it was after 11 o'clock sometime, maybe 1130, something like that. It may have even been midnight. And once we landed, we have to get out to the hotel. By the time we got checked into the hotel, it was two o'clock in the morning. Now, normally, I like to be there a half hour before the parks open. And I like to really get after it because that's when you can get on rides with very little weight. But I knew if we did that, going to bed at 2.30 by the time we were going to fall asleep, if we had gotten up at 7 to make it over to the parks by opening, gosh, we would have been so wiped out, it wouldn't have even been a fun day. So I told my daughter, hey, let's forget about that, let's sleep in a little bit, and we'll, we'll get up at 9 or 9.30, get a good at least six six and a half or 7 hours of sleep, and we'll get up and... And we'll spend the day at the parks. We knew it was going to be a long day. It was 91 degrees and classic Florida weather. And my daughter said, actually, I'm going to get up just before 8.30. And I said, no, let's sleep until at least 9. At least 9 will give us, you know, six and a half hours. Don't get up at at 8.30. She said, no, I'm going to get up just before 8.30. And I was kind of like surprised by it. You know, usually she wants to sleep in. I like sleeping in when possible. And I said, why are you getting up at 8.30? Why not 9 or 9.30? And she said, well, my roommates and I have promised each other that we would get up every morning at 6.30 Utah time, even on the weekends, and that we would read scriptures together. And we're reading the Book of Mormon all together as roommates. And I don't want to miss out on it. And so I told them that I would call in 
and be a part of that scripture reading. I was so humbled and so blown away by this. And the next morning, sure enough, at about 8.28, (laughs) her alarm went off and it woke me up and I went and took a shower while she read scriptures with her roommates. And they did it. And that example to me as a father was so fantastic. I especially look back at all the times in our own home (laughs) that we woke her up and the whole family. We do our scripture reading at 6.30 in the morning before the kids go off to school. And all the times that we've fought and fought and all the times that I've woken up (laughs) and thought, oh, I just don't want to be up. I am not a morning guy. And yet here she was leading the way. What a rewarding thing as a father, and what a tremendous example. And that day, as I did my scripture study, I studied just that much harder. And I prayed and thanked my Heavenly Father for my daughter's incredible example. And we had a magical day. We really did. You can't help it when you're at Disney World. Super fun, and what a wonderful time to be able to really, one-on-one, just spend time with my daughter. But one of the things I will remember most from that trip is her getting up after such a late night and reading scriptures with her roommates. The gospel is true. I love seeing it in action in other people's lives. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to get a hold of me directly, I can be reached at sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. We're on social media, on Facebook and on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Please go check us out. You can find all back episodes are on latterdaylives.com. And we'd love to hear from you and hear what you think of these episodes. We get such wonderful messages. If the show uh, is of any value to someone you know, if you could share it with them, we'd certainly appreciate it. You know, right now we don't have any advertising. Uh, We don't do anything to promote the show. It just keeps growing in leaps and bounds because of listeners like you. So until next week, when we get together again to hear somebody else's fascinating story, please remember, as always, there is a great big beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 